Hello, and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I am your temporary host today, Jason Rosenbaum of the St. Louis Beacon. Chris McDaniel is out in an exotic land somewhere, I think Kentucky or, or something like that. Next to me is... Joe Manis with the St. Louis Beacon. And on the line is Marshall Griffin of St. Louis Public Radio. I think I've cut off his introduction. Are, are you there, Marshall? I am here, yes. Yes, and Marshall is gracious with his presence. Marshall knows everything that's in Jefferson City. Everything. Is yes. Well, we'll say uh, <laughs> maybe maybe it's fifty one percent of everything, and maybe eighty eight percent of everything under the Capitol. So. <laughs> that's we'll fair. See. Jefferson okay. City is a big a big area, and we we're not even bringing Cole County into the mix, yes. but. We're going to start off with something in Jefferson City today, the ongoing discussions in the legislature about whether to expand Medicaid under the auspices of the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, as it's either pejoratively or affectionately known. Uh, Marshall, you've been following this issue not only for a while, but this week as well. Tell me just a little bit what's going on there. Well, the highlight in the Medicaid battle this week was Governor Nixon actually attending a meeting of the House Republican Caucus. Um, I I hesitate to call it unprecedented, but it was definitely an unusual move. Um, The governor, the Democratic governor, actually attending a Republican caucus and um, presenting what he wants from Medicaid expansion and uh, apparently, you know, fielding some questions um, from the Republican lawmakers. Of course, uh, none of us in the media were allowed in. We were camped outside and you know, waiting for it to, to end. I saw but, pictures uh, of that. I saw pictures of that. It seemed like the a really interesting experience staring at a door for an hour. Would you say that was the case? Yeah, well, thankfully, it was only about 40 minutes. <laughs> thank, and, thank, uh, thank God. And it wasn't loud enough that you could hear through it. St. Louis Board of Aldermen, they used to do that way back, and and we used to be able to hear them through the door. <laughs> yeah. We got, we got a little off track. Continue, Sorry. Marshall. Uh, no problem. Uh, well, you can't. You couldn't really hear through the door because, for, for starters, there was a uh, a security person um, <laughs> right at the door. So you know, walking up and putting your ear to it, he probably would have shoot anyone away. <laughs> that would have attempted that. But uh, every now and then, you could hear laughter, you know, coming out. And um, it, I, I couldn't distinguish whether it was warm or sarcastic <laughs> laughter, but uh, there was laughter at a few a few times. Um, they did actually uh, give him. They actually applauded when he entered. Uh, couldn't tell if there was a standing ovation. There might have been uh, a few that stood. That's a respectful that's thing to do. Right. He is yes. the governor of of the state, and even if you disagree with him, just like the president, you, yeah. you have to give him the deference that he deserves when he walks into to a room. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, I should say this, though. Um, there has been, apparently, there's been more communication between Governor Nixon and uh, Republican legislative leaders this year than there normally is. Uh, you know, usually he has the. There's, if you talk to Stephen Tilley or Ron Richard in years past, you know, they'll say, you know, we never hear from the governor. He never takes. He never visits us. Um, you know, we 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 may talk to him once, you know, per session. But apparently, uh, Tim Jones and uh, and Governor Nixon have uh, chatted on several occasions. They become year. friends, I guess. Which I find extremely interesting. I find that very intriguing. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is intriguing. Uh, it, apparently, the, there seems to be more of an effort, either uh, by the governor or by Tim Jones, or perhaps both, um, to have a, some sort of working relationship between the governor's office and the legislature, or at least the, the House side of the the, uh, the legislature. Yeah. yeah. Um, the fact, even if nothing comes of this, um, I, I think it's significant that uh, there seems to be an interest to perhaps 
get some type of Medicaid deal done. Uh, whether that'll happen or not, I think the odds of that happening probably still pretty slim. Yeah, because I wanted to touch on something because I noticed that Nixon was going to talk to the House caucus. And my theory all along is if they could either pass, you know, the Republicans could completely capitulate on Medicaid expansion or do something like Jay Barnes's bill that I'm sure you're going to get to. But as soon as it gets to the Senate, whether it would be a large swath of people or whether it would be, you know, four or five people would filibuster that bill into oblivion. Is that kind of your sense as well? Or do you have kind of a different view of how that might go? Well, um, I don't know if this exactly answers your question, but it, it seems that uh, that the House has taken the initiative as far as uh, driving whatever form of medic, whatever type of Medicaid reform there may be. The House is definitely in the driver's seat. Um, Jay Barnes has been holding lots of hearings and uh, talk, you know, letting you know people from both sides you know testify and have uh, plenty of time to testify. I should uh, put it that way, and um, you know even. You know, last night, um, his uh, trans- uh, transformation of uh, Medicaid reform bill uh, passed out of committee. Um, and actually, one Democrat voted for it and one Republican voted against it. So um, that might signal, you know, maybe that might signal some give on, um, on at least on some of the views of the Democrats who who still want the you know the full Medicaid expansion that Governor Joe, Joe wants to jump in here yeah, really quickly. Yeah, just for our listeners, so they get a little sense of the basics here. The House passed a budget last week without the Medicaid expansion. Jay Barnes is bill. Jay Barnes is a Republican from Jeff City. Uh, would increase the the Medicaid eligibility from what for adults is now nineteen percent to a hundred percent. However, of, of the poverty level. However. Uh, the Affordable Care Act requires that in order for the federal government to cover the cost, that it has to be at least 138 percent. And I know that was one of the chief reasons for the governor having that meeting was to say that it needs to get up to the 138 percent because if it's at 100 percent, the feds aren't still aren't going to give us any extra money. So it actually would cost more. Now, Barnes's bill, although also, although it would add some people to the rolls, would knock off about 40,000 children. And that's something that the governor um, opposes. Do you know if any of those specifics were brought up during that meeting? Um, I don't know if they were brought up during the closed door meeting. I'm sure they were. I can only speculate as to whether or not they were, but I think they were. Um, I do know that the governor had some things to say about it after uh, the meeting. He did hold a press conference and uh, met with reporters, uh, talked about uh, what he had in mind. And he actually uh, had some good things to say about uh, Jay Barnes's uh, Medicaid reform bill. Um, he said that we still need to get uh, coverage to 138 percent, but the governor also said perhaps some of these uh, you know, free market ideas of private insurers competing for uh, Medicaid um, uh, for, for Medicaid patients, uh, that that might maybe some of the, those ideas might be a way to uh, to get to 138 um, percent. He still uh, opposes uh, removing the 44,000 children uh, from the Medicaid rolls. That might be a, a bigger sticking point. Um, Jay Barnes last night, when the, his bill was passed uh, by the committee that he actually chairs, um, he made the point of saying, "Well, the, these 44,000 children that are being removed." Um, come from uh, parents who make enough money to um, to be able to afford private insurance on the exchange, uh, for yeah, example, through yeah, the he, exchange or from their 
current employers. So he said, you know, he said under this plan, the children there will not be any children who will not go uncovered eventually you know, once the uh, federal exchange is set up. Well, it'll be. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see it, since it's passed out of committee now. I guess it has to still go to the rules committee, which I'm assuming it'll pass through, and then it'll go to the full floor, whether there's going to be amendments on there, whether there's a completely new bill by the time it gets there as, as Marshall. And to some extent, me know, you know, legislation can kind of change all the time before right. it gets sent to the Senate. But my gut feeling is, is that it, it might get through the House, this this vehicle, not what Nixon wants, a 138 percent expansion. Well, but and let me and let me add as well, uh, this is not going to have an easy trip through the House, even among uh, the Republicans. Yeah. Um, Mark Parkinson last night um, cast, uh, he was uh, one of the two no votes. Um, and he, even though he, he basically uh, is the uh, co-chair of this committee that uh, Jay Barnes chairs, and uh, Parkinson basically said, you know, e- even though this is, you know, smaller and watered down and less than what the governor wants, it's still Obamacare. He called Jay Barnes' bill Obamacare and voted no. Yeah, and I, I can pretty much guarantee you that there's there's some members of the Senate. What person I like to bring up all the time is Rob Schaff of St. Joseph, who, who you know is a longtime antagonist of the hospital industry. The hospital industry association has given money to his opponents in the past. He has no incentive to play ball with them. It's going to be people like him who may see this plan. I haven't talked to him. I'm not sure if you've talked with him, Marshall. But talking about the beginning of the year, he had no interest in expanding Medicaid. I think he was recently captured on audio saying he would filibuster Medicaid expansion until his legs give out. And I can guess that he's probably not alone in wanting to expand Medicaid past to where it is now. And if you have multiple people filibustering something, it could get through the House all you want. But it, it it will have a it'll have a hard time in the Senate, I think. Well, what sort of pressure, Marshall, are you hearing from individual legislators? I'm thinking particularly the rural House members. I know the hospital association's been pressing for this, you know, for some time for the expansion, and they've been warning about rural hospitals closing. Are the rural legislators starting to get direct, you know, contentions from their local hospitals that 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 they're going to close if this expansion doesn't happen. Are you hearing that kind of talk or well, not? I tell you what. I, I'll tell you what I am hearing. I'm hearing uh, word of uh, of chambers of commerce from like southwestern Missouri, right. very Republican conservative areas right. that are now on board mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, we need this. We need this Medicaid expansion." Now, whether it's the governor's plan or whether it's the the scaled back uh, <laughs> version that Jay Barnes is 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 pushing, um, I, I can. I can tell you this: it's 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 not going to be an easy trip. Um, I'm, you know, reiterating the point: it will not be an easy trip, no. even if it does pass the House. No. So let's let's move on to the something a little bit more closer to home. Um, you know, all politics is local, so right. to speak. And and St. Louis region had municipal elections this week, and we we talked a little bit about this in a previous podcast, but there were a lot of mayor's races, a lot of city council races, but the main... Yeah, the marquee issue. The marquee issue is Proposition P, a three-sixteenths of one cent sales tax increase that goes to local parks, uh, Great Rivers Greenways to build trails, and most notably, improvements around the Gateway Arch. Yeah, on the grounds around the Gateway Arch. It it passed overwhelmingly in the city. It won every, uh, all 28 wards, although in the 27th ward, only by 10 votes. 
St. Louis County, it was a little bit narrower. It got I, very close. It got very close in the middle of the night. I know boosters at the Prop P party in at the Forest Park Visitor Center were getting a little nervous when it dropped to 51.48. But in the end, it, I think it ended up passing 52.47, 53.47. So a win is a win. It goes into effect later this year. Joe, what do you think this means overall for, for the region? Well, I think a couple things. First, um, I think it does show that the St. Louis County Republicans, Republican Party, who had come out against it, um, I think that it shows that they maybe had a little more muscle than people thought. Uh, I live in the county, and I'd driven around to a few polling places on Tuesday, and one of the things that I it struck me was that they did have those signs saying, vote no on Prop P. Those were very prominent in front of many polling places. And as we've talked before, they were doing a low-key campaign for Prop P. Very low-key. And Prop P was mainly funded by other Republicans, the business Republicans. Civic Progress. Civic Progress, business leaders, that sort of thing. And the Civic Progress is a group that of, of business leaders, and a lot of businesses donated to this PAC, basically. But my point being is that if you were not in the group of identified voters who were expected to go to the polls who had been getting all these flyers. Mm-hmm. If you showed up at the polls and you hadn't been getting any of these flyers in your mailbox because maybe you weren't earmarked as either uh, a likely Prop P voter or a regular uh, April voter, you would have gone to the poll and you would have seen this big sign saying vote no, and you wouldn't have really known that much about it. The other thing was there were some competitive races in West County. Correct. We mentioned we're going to talk a little bit about Ellisville in a minute. There were obviously those types of races, but there was a big mayor's race in Chesterfield, for example. A lot of council seats in those areas were up for grabs. And we, we mean, I don't want to get too wonky about the geography of St. Louis County. But even though St. Louis County is considered a Democratic county, it has a big pocket of Republican voters. Well, St. Louis County also, though, is really among – for a long time, it was the largest block of Republican votes in the state. It might still be a pretty significant it's block. It's within the top three. So whether – even though a lot of Democrats have moved out to the county, the Republican block there is still huge, especially in West County and in Southwest County. And there was a really hot fight over a bond issue in the Rockwood School District, which ended up losing. And I was wondering if that vote may have impacted Prop P, the idea being that all these people who are anti-tax, anti-more, uh, uh, you know, property tax would have been at the polls and they would have voted against Prop P yeah. as well. I mean, they barely passed. They passed and a win's a win. But I think it's something that uh, I suspect that Civic Progress and the consultants that they hired will be poring over this. Now, Marshall, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was this is just a 3 of a sell, uh, percent sales tax. But St. Louis Region already has a number of sales taxes. And, so and an earnings tax. And an earnings which tax. Which is different, but, but continue. But, but the point being that it's getting close to about 8%. With all the different um, uh, sales taxes and then, of course, the earnings tax. My point being is in Jeff City, at the same time, they're talking about replacing, possibly replacing or reducing the income tax and putting in a higher state sales tax as a result. Um, what's the impact there? Because I could see in the St. Louis area, you could end up with the, with all of the sales taxes if the state has a higher one, being close to 15 or 20 cents on the dollar. 
Well, it, it does sound like it would be a it would be a little bit more of a burden to uh, shop in the St. Louis area. Uh, I, but I should tell you that this bill is being driven by um, politics and business, the business climate on the other side of the state, the Kansas City area, um, where a, a lot of where the state of Kansas uh, slashed its uh, income tax rates. I believe I'm not sure if it's one. I think it's 1.8 billion dollars right uh, cut, and um, you know that's that's uh, in, the, the reason for it uh, appears to be you know enticing Missouri businesses to cross the state line and uh, and set up shop in Kansas. And uh, a lot of Missouri lawmakers and a lot of uh, Missouri-based uh, business interests are, are concerned about this. And that's one of the that's probably the main force driving this bill. That would um, I believe it would cut income taxes by uh, I believe 0.75 while uh, raising the uh, state sales tax. Um, you, you have um, education interests are uh, basically the ones that are standing up and saying, no, we can't afford this. We can't afford to lose any revenue. Um, Will Krause, the uh, sponsor of this bill, the Senator Krause is from Lee Summit, and he basically says, yeah, I acknowledge this this bill will probably cost the state around $477 million. Now, the budget office, Linda Lubring told me this week, is actually closer to $700 million is what they're claiming. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's some difference difference of opinions among the uh, – I know the, the supporters are saying it's only going to be 477 right. and stretched out over five years. Uh, Missouri Budget Project is a, a St. Louis-based advocacy group saying uh, – going even higher than Linda Lubring's right. estimate and saying it could be, you know, maybe $960 million, closer to a billion dollars of lost revenue. Yeah. Just one, one postscript on the Proposition P, though. I talked with the chairman of the St. Charles – County Council, and he pretty much told me that the results are not going to change the St. Charles Council's decision not to put this on the ballot because they could have voted on this if they wanted to, but the sense is that this would have very little chance of passing in St. Charles. So a little postscript for our friends in St. Charles out there. Now, Marshall, I know that Kansas City is now having a lot of, I mean, the Kansas, I'm sorry, Kansas is now having a lot of budget problems and having to cut school funding and everything else because of these cuts in their income tax. Is that having any impact in the discussion in Jeff City as they look at the whole issue of income tax versus sales tax? Uh, very much. Um, uh, this, uh, the opponents of, uh, of Senate Bill 26, uh, is they're bringing that point up. They're saying, look, look at what's happening in Kansas. We should not be following in, uh, in Missouri's, excuse me, in Kansas's footsteps. Uh, Paul Lavota, the uh, a rookie senator, former uh, House Minority Leader. Uh, he's from Independence, and one of the things that he likes to say is, "We we are the Show Me State, not the Me Too State. We shouldn't be following uh, down the same uh, path that Kansas has taken." It's good. basically they're saying it's going to devastate. It would devastate Missouri schools, you know, which are already not fully funded, and there doesn't appear. And this I'm quoting um, the opponents of uh, this bill saying that there doesn't appear to be any interest or any mechanism for getting Missouri to full funding, this is certainly going to take us even further in, in the uh, wrong direction as far as being able to fully fund or even continuing to fund uh, public schools at the current level. Well, that'll be something that'll be probably materialized near the end of the session, and we'll be definitely watching how that ends up. But our last topic of discussion is a, a little town in West County <laughs> that's developed a, a lot of interest. I could safely say that um, Mayor, it's Adam Paul, correct? Right, correct. Mayor Adam Paul is now a more famous Ellisville resident than former House Transportation Committee 
Chairman Neil Sainage. <laughs> Would you say that's true? Yes, I think that's definitely true. So I think it's definitely true. This has attracted a lot of media attention in the St. Louis area, as, as well as apparently the national media. Tell, tell us what's going on in Ellisville. And, 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 and there actually is a connection to the sales tax thing. Oh. I mean, I mean there actually is. We connect. Uh, okay. Mayor Adam Paul, young guy, got elected uh, April 2012 on the platform of opposing uh, the tax breaks for a proposed Walmart uh, project, which that deal has been pretty much settled during the summer. Um, so Adam Paul passed, I mean, was uh, campaigned against the tax breaks, was overruled by a number of members of the council, uh, but there it's been combative. The bottom line is the council decided to, the council decided to impeach him. Uh, they had various uh, accusations against him, some of which have been tossed out about whether or not he was drinking or, or swearing, and that's all been <laughs> tossed out. But the one uh, the, the one aspect that they are contending, the council says that Paul broke the law when, after the deal had been finished on Walmart, he had called the relocation expert handling uh, the people who lived in apartment buildings that are being uh, raised for the Walmart project because some constituents had questions about what sort of uh, uh, financial uh, stipends they were getting, and he just had a couple questions about it. Well, they say that as mayor, he shouldn't have been doing that. Now, he and his lawyers say that wasn't an impeachable offense. He was just calling for information. Uh, but the point is, this is the backdrop of the the whole effort in St. Louis County in particular, different municipalities, including Ellisville, they keep all the sales tax that's generated in their borders. So they need, in order to make their budgets, many of them rely on a big box store or two to bring in enough people from elsewhere in the county who pay enough sales tax that it ends up in their coffers. And um, Matt Perillo, who's a former mayor and now a councilman and a, considered one of the leaders of the impeachment effort, although he says he hasn't made up his mind, but uh, Paul says, yes, he has. He's leading all this. Perillo says that um, that they have to have this Walmart project, and whether or not Paul is impeached or not, they can't knock out this project or that Ellisville will go bankrupt. Now, in Tuesday's election results, Three new council members were elected. At least two of them are identified as Paul allies. The third one is saying she's not taking a, a position. But the point being that right now the, the council has been five to one against the mayor. It looks like it's probably going to be at minimum three to three against the mayor within 10 days. Yeah. So the council, though, they finished their hearing yesterday, three days of hearings, and now they will uh, meet next Monday. Um, I will be out of town, so Jason will be handling the vote. Apparently, I'm going to swear a lot, so I might get impeached from my job. So, <laughs> and uh, so they're expected to impeach the mayor next Monday. Uh, the new council comes in nine days later. Uh, whether or not they try to counter all that, the old council plans to have an interim mayor already in place. So you could have a fight between the interim mayor and if the old council tries to reinstate the current mayor. The current mayor and his lawyers say they're going to be in court. And and the backdrop of all this is that Perillo says if there's any effort by the new council 
to knock out the tax breaks for Walmart, that there will be another lawsuit filed by the Walmart developers, and that the city could well go bankrupt. Yeah. So this is all leading. I mean, this is all connected to the whole sales tax. I will just say as a a humorous aside and a bit of a synchronicity that when I was at the University of Missouri, I had the pleasure and honor of being – in an impeachment hearing of our student body president, his name was Brian Lane Roach. You can actually look at the Columbia Tribune archives and read <laughs> about this. And he was impeached for drinking during a function with the chancellor. And the problem with this was he was under 21 years old. And my thought process was, and admittingly, I, I probably did drink, but when I was under 21 and probably is <laughs> definitely, was that I, I found it kind of odd that somebody was impeached for something like that when someone like Lyndon Johnson, for example, swore all the time to people. And there have been plenty of presidents who have been drinking in public before. But these these are <laughs> serious charges, even though... And the, speaking of presidents... And speaking of presidents, <laughs> we're just going to do a quick uh, aside of this. Uh, the Clinton Global Initiative is going to be at Washington University this weekend. Uh, Former President Clinton is going to be there along with his daughter, Chelsea Clinton. There's going to be a whole range of speakers talking about important issues. And comedian Stephen Colbert will be here. I completely forgot. Uh, Stephen Colbert is going to be interviewing Bill Clinton on Saturday. I I think it might be the first time that that's occurred. And I'm planning to be there uh, to cover the the pro the, the what's going on and any shenanigans that may may go for as Marshall knows shenanigans are all over Jefferson City if you ask Paul Lavota is that correct that, that's that's correct but yeah. no sales tax talk no sales tax talk <laughs> well, uh, Marshall we very much appreciate your time as always and being on this podcast you can find more of both of our stories both at stlbeacon.org and stlpublicradio.org I'm on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum Marshall what's your Twitter address. Uh, at Marshall G. Report. And Joe? My uh, Twitter is J Mannies, J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. Well, Joe, we hope you have a good time on your vacation, which means that we'll probably bring back Marshall in the next couple of weeks. Um, and thank you for listening as always. Until then, so long. So long. Thank you.